Hello and welcome to Happy Place, my little safe space where you're all invited to hear fascinating people bare their souls so that we might all learn how to live better lives. I'm Fern Cotton and my safe space has grown slightly this series to accommodate the thousands that attended the Happy Place Festival. And today we'll hear many wise words from Katie Piper. I mean, I was fearful for such a long time of so many visible and invisible things. And I used to take it back to the prison sentence of years that the people who did this to me got. And I used to think, they're six years in, they've only got two more years and I'm still too scared to do this, this and this. I'm the prisoner. Katie is such an incredibly, and she's not a fan of this world, inspiring human being, but she just is. Someone who has been through so much and still has gone on to greater and greater things. You're going to love this chat. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now, here's the show. Thank you so much, Katie. Um, when I knew we were doing this for real and it was happening and I was going to do live podcasts, you were, you were top of the list. Uh, we've never done this. I've been oh, on really? your podcast. Yes. Yeah, but I've yeah. never had the chance to interview you properly. We've sort of bumped into each other at yeah. stuff. And I, I pulled the short straw because I interviewed you like in your lounge with your cat and now I'm here with all these people. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly more pressure, but you know. I know, right? Um, yeah, my cats were really kind of like, what are you guys talking about? I need to get in on this. Um, but this lot are going to be lovely and warm and not as aggressive as my cats. Um, I've for a long time admired, uh, admired what you do and uh, how you use the power of your voice and how you've created such a beautiful community. Um, and I, when I set out to structure how we might talk about things today, it was sort of near impossible because there's so many things that I'm curious about and that I want to understand. And also that I'm sure this lovely lot are desperate to know about as well. I think the starting place that feels right is to try and understand this about you. So when any of us are faced with challenges in life, adversity, the unexpected, we all, of course, have a decision. It might not always feel like it, but we have a decision whether to um, hide from life because it feels too much or to show up and try again and not let life beat us and you are someone that has done that again and again but you've done it right from the start and I'm intrigued to know if that was a conscious decision or if you just felt there was no other option for you. Yeah I mean it's an interesting debate because sometimes we are making decisions and we don't realise it Um, particularly I think when it's a medical journey if you have some kind of disease or disability 
at many points it feels like decision making isn't in your hand you know your own body and your health isn't in your own control and then you can search for things to be in control of and you know I or when I was in a bad place I would think nothing is in my control I can't make any decisions all I can do is exist and be passive and just particularly when you're in the hands of doctors because you, you know I always laugh at the consent form because you think well what what consent you know I I have to do this or I die um, but then when you look back, when you get in a better place, when that power of hindsight, you realise you did make lots of decisions and you were in control of lots of things. And for me, my life-changing trauma was nearly 11 years ago now. And I couldn't talk or feel like this in the first seven or eight years. But at present day, I can say one thing was taken out of my hands in a few seconds and one decision was made for me. But everything afterwards I was in the driving seat. And it's, it takes a lot of, it takes some multiple of things to help you to get to that point, but that's how I can sort of feel present day now. And, and it is incredibly difficult because the biggest part of a, any kind of recovery, particularly a medical one, is the anger that you had something and you thought you were in control of something and now you're not. But you, you begin to realise we're never in control of anything. Yeah. Anything could, ha- anything could happen yeah. right now. And so we, we fool ourselves with that sense of security that we are. And then we become insecure and anxious when we think we're not. But we never were. Mm. It's such a difficult thing to get our heads around, isn't it? Because, yeah. like you say, we all just assume that, you know, when I do this in life I make these decisions and then this is the outcome yeah and you have been forced in uh, in a tragic way to have to accept that yeah and that's been a big part of your your journey throughout all of this you you said there you know you had the control taken away from you in in one particular circumstance and I've read Mm. before when you've done interviews that you've said you had your health taken away from you, but, but mm. nobody can take your soul away from you. That is yours, and that cannot be meddled with. At what point do you think you really understood that and, and wanted to act on that? Um, I suppose it was kind of dissecting it all, and that was through writing, because sometimes when you have that fog in your mind, you can only really make sense of things by putting pen to paper. I'm quite a visual person. And I went back to the beginning of everything and thinking, okay, the purpose, you know, lots of people live with burn injuries. Some are through accidents, some are through attacks. And when it's a facial burn injury for an attack, the clear purpose is all about aesthetics and beauty. And somebody thinking that that's the primary thing of most importance to you and really I suppose you you kind of go back to realizing actually it's not at all your you know eyesight is crucial for you being able to breathe being be able to eat without using a feeding peg and all those things that I was now you know when everyone looks at my story they think it's all about beauty and confidence and not looking like a normal whatever that is something girl but for me it was like I don't want to always have this costume bag I don't want to always be fed for a tube I don't want to always have to wear tubes to breathe in my nose and the other stuff took such backseat which kind of surprises people in, in that way and it went back to that decision making of you know it was man that hurt me not natural disaster and they thought that was the way to hurt me the most and I'm going to re- rebuild so much resilience because resilience will give me confidence in all other situations and prove man wrong that that isn't all that makes me so it will not be all that breaks me and that theory is hard 
when you bring in external people. Because then when you try and go and get a job or you try and date, not everyone feels the same. Um, so it's, it's a long journey which sort of goes up and goes down, even to present day, if I'm honest. Well, I'm, I'm sure. And we all are very grateful that you are allowing us to be, you know, alongside you with that because you've so brilliantly articulated again and again your feelings about everything you're going through and how you're going through it and you said there about writing being so important and um, we've got some of your amazing books here and I've found myself flicking through them when I've although I've read them when I've had moments where I need a little something a, a boost of sorts and, and I know before you even started writing in a professional sense you wrote for catharsis and uh, and I read recently that you found it very healing to write and then destroy writing can you talk us through that process well it kind of reminds me of like you know when you're moving house and you find really old diaries and you're Mm. like oh my god it's so cringe you're like I need to buy a shredder incinerate immediately (laughs) go on Amazon shredder (laughs) next day delivery Um, and it is a bit like that because there's this like tendency that if you tell somebody something who's not a psychologist they want to fix it for you or give you an answer and there's so many times we don't want to make we can't make sense of something anyway and we don't want a solution so for me actually it wasn't about writing books to get published or even writing a private memoir sometimes it was letters to people that I had no intention of sending and like you said ripping them up which was quite cathartic the yeah. phys- you know because actually it's all right to be angry it wasn't about being positive and good vibes it was actually about being quite rageful sometimes and that was was a really safe place to do it and a private confidential place to do it you know I'm a big a believer in not expressing those emotions on social media after a gin and tonic in the, late at night you know I like to write in the journal shred it up write in the journal leave it use it for reflection and then it's a safe place and it doesn't give me that fear the next day that have I confided in someone I can't trust have I expressed uh, somewhere where people don't care and won't use it sensitively in my own writing I can always trust and it helps me It never takes the problem away, but it just eases it slightly. It is such a powerful thing to do. I've... I've written letters to people and not sent them. And oh, really? Burned yeah. them, which I think there's something sort of feels ritualistic in doing that, like yeah. burning it and sending it off somewhere and ridding yourself of it. And like you say, you know, we sometimes try and suppress emotions because we think they're wrong. So like yeah. anger is always seen as, oh, I mustn't be angry. Got to try and get that out or work it out or disguise it as something else. But actually... For you, has it been um, very important to honour those emotions and just let them happen and work through them? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, people always associate the word of me inspirational. And in a way, that sort of pedestal, I think, is quite unrealistic. And that almost being positive, being inspirational... It does people a misservice because there sort of isn't such thing as that 24-7. And actually, you know, I lived for a long time with some resentment some confusion uh, some self-pity and all of those ways of those letter writing helps you have to process resentment you can't just pretend to be like happy and positive and not yeah. resent if you're resentful you're resentful and that's all right you know mm. but you don't normally get rid of that until you've expressed it you know so you need to find a safe i suppose if you if it, for me i got taught this in therapy so it's if you didn't like therapy and that wouldn't suit you it's almost like a self-therapy talking it out and writing it out And um, how important do you think it is to sort of have um, 
that emotional independence so it's obviously so important to talk to other people whether that be a therapist a friend a husband whoever a colleague but but also alongside that do you think it's crucial that we all have emotion emotional independence so that you know by perhaps letter writing or um sitting in a room and saying things into the mirror or whatever do you think that also really needs to be part of a healing process that you can work out some problems on your own yeah definitely i was reading a a self-help book um recently and it and it challenged you to write some things down and when i was being really on and i knew i wasn't going to show it to anyone else and i wrote it down i thought god I, i haven't really acknowledged i'm i'm thinking that and feeling that and maybe i feel like that doesn't really fit me and i shouldn't really feel like that and it was quite interesting like telling the truth to yourself um it really sort of helped me to be to look sort of deeper within and be quite honest and i also think now you know i'm a mum, i'm married so my husband is my biggest support and it when I was recovering, it was my mum. And there's a sense of not wanting to overburden people with stuff that you only temporarily mean. You know, you might express some deepest, darkest thoughts that don't run as permanent as the people that care about you feel. And when you do that, you kind of process it and you think, that's okay. You know, I don't have to overburden every single confidant with stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be taken as as seriously as some people might. Yeah, I think that is... Just the power of writing is a really—it's a special thing. You don't have to be a great writer. You just yeah. got to get it out, and then if you want to get rid of it, I think that is a nice ritual to sort of be part of—to to really rid yourself, or well, not even rid yourself, but at least acknowledge them and know that they're not as powerful as they might feel in your head sometimes and it's empowering to know i own this i could put this on instagram if i think my followers would relate i can publish it if i think it would be helpful or i can make it never exist yeah. you know and that and that goes back to those decisions the things that when people make you feel out of control or when disease makes you feel out of control you go back to that writing where you're in control because mm, you really are like you say it's the most empowering little habit to have it's a lovely sort of discipline to get into if you can and I dip in and out of it sometimes I'm really good at writing diaries I used to be prolific I used to write every single day as a kid and then found quite a lot of them like we said (laughs) oh my god these need to be destroyed if anyone ever finds these but actually there is something lovely at the end of the day even if it's a few lines just getting it out there Mm -hmm. and putting some thoughts down is is so important yeah um going back 11 years ago now why or not why how did you gather the strength to decide to speak out about what you had been through because so many people have been so positively affected by the documentary that you made yeah and I can't imagine the strength that that took and the energy that took there's a lot of energy you're expelling to to put yourself in that position a vulnerable place of talking about what you've been through and then having to talk about it a lot in life afterwards where did you get that strength from it was a difficult decision because if you think about it that was 2008 there was no such thing as the me too movement there wasn't a lot of diversity outside well there wasn't really diversity in disability on telly in that time um and you know part of my attack had been a rape and I had that worry of people might say well it was your fault or you did certain things wrong you know there, there just wasn't that I don't think there was Instagram there wasn't there was MySpace and oh, there was the MySpace <laughs> you know Tom remember him um where <laughs> Tom! is Tom now I don't know Tom? <laughs> but you know people blogged but we didn't really share and have the platforms yeah there wasn't as big f- feminist movement at all so I did really worry that people would 
say you deserve this this is your fault and I think in the end it was the selfishness of me that made me talk publicly because I was going online at like 1am 2am looking for forums of people that had been in a similar situation to me and in terms of acid attacks the only stuff I could find was in America there wasn't a UK community at all and it was kind of a graveyard where people's username would be like 98% burns 56% and it was this kind of conversation of my life's worse than yours I'm more burnt than you and I was just like what was the point in having your life saved if your existence is to talk about how bad it is Um, and so behind that kind of catalyst was wanting to set up my own movement my own charity I'd had a lot of treatment abroad that I'd had to fund and when I'd sort of been public people had shown amazing empathy and do you know it was a massive thing a real help for me was having this post-traumatic stress of something's going to happen again everybody's evil everyone's out to get you when I went public, there was this outpouring of genuine empathy and understanding, and it really helped fix that emotional, logical part Did of it? my brain. It made me realise that the evil is such a tiny percent, but I mm. had been exposed to that, so it clouded my judgement. And, you know, I always say my charity really restored my faith in mankind, um, and it still does to this day. You know, we've built a whole rehab centre on no government funding, all through fundraising, through people that want to help other wow. people so yeah it, it, re- it really helped that um, and then there was being able to make people understand <clears throat> if you see someone in a wheelchair you understand if you see someone in a plastic face mask you don't understand and, and sometimes that fear can make us be aggressive it can make us be confrontational it can make us whisper so kind of wanting to educate people in why I looked the way I did and actually how there was so much more strength underneath aesthetic I love that you've managed to mitigate that fear of life and other people on the planet by embracing the good stuff that came your way, which you beyond deserved. Because I think all of us get scared of what we're, you know, what's portrayed in the media and how the world is portrayed to us can seem terrifying. And actually, Mm -hmm. do you think it's a shift of focus? Like, look at this good stuff rather than worrying about all of the possible variables that could have a negative outcome i definitely think it's a shift of focus because i found in the last few years life is easier to be different because you can find communities you can access people and i guess they were always there you know i mean mean, that's why i when people criticize social media i think no it's about personal responsibility yeah it's about what you expose yourself to it's about how you use it it's about how often you use it because without it i would wouldn't have found half of the people i wouldn't have connected with you as much you know I look at your feed every day and I find positive things and I wouldn't have seen that I wouldn't have even known you were about that without Mm. it you know so I think things have changed and and things are better but we were always there we were just fearful of being repelled yeah you know and you just like for me I've still faced rejection before I was married you know dating was really difficult and there were there were some funny times and there were some awful times you know but I think it would have been that way anyway had I not been burnt. You know, there are lots of women finding it difficult and there are lots of men finding it difficult to meet the right partner. And it's easy to blame and say, oh, the one thing that's been taken out of my decision is my barrier. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's the inner dialogue, you know. When I write out my barriers, I often realise they're only my inner dialogue. Mm. And how do you then... Because I was talking about this earlier in the Billy Munger episode, and it seems like a common theme um, with mavericks out there who do great stuff like you do and like Billy does, and people that are 
<clears throat> speaking up and making extremely positive change that you have to silence exterior noise to some extent. You can be um, receptive and take on board that connection with social media and the people that you meet and the community that you build. But people that are getting in your way of doing what you want to do, you have to not listen to that. And I have great difficulty in that. You know, I could have a 100 people say something positive about what I've done work-wise yeah. and one negative and that is all I will think about all day long. I'll obsess like. about it yeah. I won't let it go all the good things mean nothing and the one negative yeah. is the thing and I am intrigued as to how you've done that you've really stuck to what you believe and what you want to achieve and you've not let that outside noise in any way uh, be detrimental to the end goal yeah I mean I almost think for me it's been an advantage um, having a facial disfigurement because when I've worked with other people whose disfigurement is under their clothes on their body I always think mine's a bit of an idiot filter where the people that aren't interested I'll know pretty early on and the opportunities that are blocked for me I'll know straight away whereas if some people might feel they have to go through some kind of reveal moment where somebody then might choose to opt out and the relationship might break down so for me I the worst that can happen always will happen at straight away so in terms of strangers and people criticizing me and critiquing me I always kind of go by that mantra of what's the worst that can happen I face that often and actually nothing falls apart nobody dies I carry on you know I had everything taken away from me literally when I was living in a rented flat when everything happened to me all my possessions got taken by the police for evidence and then my landlord binned the rest I woke up in a coma three months later, no eyesight, no face, no possessions, no friends. So I revert back to that all the time and think, that didn't kill me. And that didn't stop me. So actually, somebody saying I was a bit boring on my podcast or somebody saying my shirt didn't suit my hair colour on the Daily Mail, it's all right. And actually, love those Daily Mail comments. Uh, but you know the worst thing? When I'm trying to get rid of that vibe and not look at it, yeah. my, my mum's made a fake name and she goes on there and tells people off. <laughs> yes, Katie Piper's mum. <laughs> She's combating the wankers with yeah. positivity. But then she screen grabs it all and WhatsApps it to me. Yeah. And she's like, look, I told Jill off from Leeds. Yeah, I'm like, Jill in Leeds. Yeah. You bug off with your stupid but comments. I'm trying not to read those, but thanks yeah. for screen grabbing them. But, I know, but, but you know what? Your mum, I love that your mum's done that because... Um, who cares what Jill thinks? Do you know what I mean? It, yeah, it's like, not It relevant, doesn't matter. It's someone else's yeah. pain that yeah. is nothing to do with you or yeah. me or whoever else they're having a pop at. It's they've, they don't, they've just, they're not feeling great. Yeah. And they're going to go for whoever it is that is there. But it is, for anyone, even not in the public eye, obviously it's hard to not let that bring you down. And I think a lot of people in this audience, male and female, will at some point have suffered with a low self-esteem for whatever reasons. I have, 100 million percent. Like, absolutely. I've had millions of work scenarios or social scenarios where I have felt small and, like, I can't deal with being there. I don't know how to be me. I'm worried anything I say will be taken wrongly or I'll... Uh, you know, dissect everything I've said in a day when I'm in bed at the end of the night rather than just, this is me, accept me as I am. If you don't like me, whatever. I do have those moments, but I think the self-esteem thing is a huge issue for all of us. And I wonder 
what your tips are because I know you've written prolifically about confidence and and how to go into situations when you're not feeling at your best. What, what sort of key things do you have to prioritise to make sure you feel in check with that? Well, I suppose that whole thing is why I've been able to embrace almost trauma and pain because I know all these moments are helping me build up that resilience and actually you know again the whole purpose of my attack was that people wrongly associate confidence with how you look or maybe your level of success your level of wealth and anyone that is aesthetically pleasing or wealthy will know it does bring you fleeting momentary confidence but it doesn't give you deep-rooted confidence that can carry you through every situation without being dependent on others and and searching for substances or some kind of gratification so for me when I have really shitty times if I lose jobs if relationships break down if other other health things happen in the family I think yeah bring it on bring it on because this all the stuff that is making me solid you know this is real hardcore proper stuff that I know is going to make me so confident because nothing's going to rock or shake me you know and I, I've been there where I thought oh if I get hair extensions I'll feel better you know when I was dating I tried everything to think if I, if I was a bit thinner if I I had this stupid thing where um, my left hand side I've lost my ear and my eyesight and it's more burnt than my right hand side so I used to go on dates with people and get there early to sit on the right hand side and, and when I would then leave and walk with them make them walk on the right hand side if it goes any further they're going to see the left hand side <laughs> at some point yeah. you know and it was just like all these ridiculous things where you know I should have known by then that a long-lasting relationship would not have been built on having a superb right-hand side of my face, you know. But I was kind of lying to myself because, like, that sort of Instagram-type community does tell you that if you're beautiful, you're the most confident. But it's only momentary. It's not going to carry you through some long-term life plan, you know. That's why I love what you're doing with your podcast and I love what you're doing with your books. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Because that's what it's about. That's, you know, that you're talking about something so real but we've all been somehow duped into believing it's not that and of course it has to come with him we can have all the stuff and things and yeah. whatever and it doesn't touch the sides and we've seen it happen with so many people over the years in the public eye who have seemingly got everything going on and it all looks amazing and then we find out that's not the case so we know that that equation doesn't you know equate but that's why I love what you're talking about. You're, you're talking about it from such an authentic place. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And, and you've mentioned an important word a couple of times uh, this afternoon, and that is resilience. Yeah. And often we forget about resilience because to be resilient, like you're saying, you have to face up to things. You have to stand up to your fears. You have to get into the nitty gritty. And you're doing that all the time with the work that you're doing, the writing, the talks that you do. You're not shying away from things. You are showing up and as you say it's it's 
rebooting your resilience every time and I think sometimes we all get a bit scared to put ourselves in vulnerable positions because we don't want to be rejected we don't want to feel hurt we don't want to hear something negative about ourselves in case it impacts us but I like that your thinking is bring that on and I will get stronger disaster over here yeah Yeah. see I don't even I've never thought of that I've always just thought avoid a problem avoid people being upset with me try and make everybody happy but actually I love that this is actually like cogs are churning in my old brain here right now going no those moments are gonna of course create resilience and that is the most important thing for confidence and the whole fear thing as well I mean I was fearful for such a long time of so many visible and invisible things and I used to take it back to the prison sentence of years that the people who did this to me got and I used to think they're six years in they've only got two more years and I'm still too scared to do this this and this I'm the prisoner And I used to always try and think about it in a logic way of like, Mm. who's in prison? Because I'm building a massive prison outside here and they're not. And I used to think there's like one more year to go now. So I might still be too scared to go on a dating website. Am I still going to be too scared to try and go up for a job against other people who I consider are better than me? You know, what is the point? I might as well have not gone through a massive criminal justice system, legal trials. You know, anyone that's been through a rape trial will know it's humiliating. It's horrendous. And then I'd live in this whole thing of my own fear, you know, built by myself. And I've got to get out there. I've got to do these things because they're going to beat me otherwise, you know. Mm. And it it really became like a... And that kind of sounds bad for anxiety of making it a race in your head. But I almost needed that urgency to say, you need to go out there and try 20 times and see if you get one breakthrough in those 20 times. Mm. And then you will break that fear, you know. Mm. And and I did. And I, I, hand on my heart, honestly, don't live in fear now. I really don't because so wonderful. I feel I don't feel disabled I feel enabled I feel capable I feel ready but I also feel realistic that you know just one bad thing doesn't happen to us and the rest is a you know a bed of roses I'll experience other problems other difficulties other health issues but that's okay because I'll know how to navigate through that I won't be inspirational I won't be confident 24/7 but I won't break. You're going to be resilient. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, for some people, they'll, they'll find it difficult and some people will drop away and new friends will be made. But that's not a disaster. You know? Well, this is it. Don't, aren't we um, sort of framing mistakes in the wrong way? Because, and I don't know if this is exasperated due to social media or even how the media presents things to us, but we're so scared of cocking up, of making a mistake, of things going badly you know is that because we don't want everybody else's opinion to be a certain way or do we feel like we will in turn be a failure I don't know but I think you know I've made loads of tons of mistakes countless I couldn't you know I could sit here until the Tatton Park event next month and tell you all my mistakes (laughs) yeah there's been loads and you know some of them have been awful and I've ended up floored by them but I'm sat here now do you know what I mean and like you're saying you you always go back to that ground zero of, I was there, but I'm okay, I'm still okay. And we can make mistakes, we can be rejected, we can have all this stuff happen to us, but we will still be okay. And we just need to break through that fear. Yeah. It's really funny, because if I sit down with like a red top journalist, they'll be like, are you are you actually looking on it now? Are you really glad everything that happened to you? Because now you're famous. And I'm just like... 
Right, okay. How long's the interview? How long have we got? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just oh. like but that shows you that but that shows you some people's depth and some people's yeah. shallowness of how that how they are socially conditioned to think. You know, I mean that's quite a phenomenal statement to and it was a woman that said that to me, woman to woman to say that. So, you know, it, it's interesting, um, but it's, it's what people view, like you said, as a mistake and actually what's character building, what you discover about yourself and what you, I think it, it improves your self-esteem of what I will and will not accept and what treatment I won't accept and what I'll allow in my life. And, you know, I used to always feel embarrassed to say no and, and, and feel yeah. rude to say no. And I think it's about becoming more assertive and understanding. Or oh, I won't do that again. I won't put that upon myself again. Mm. And, I, and I won't think I'm bad for, for not doing that, you know. And I guess the only way you figure that out is from making mistakes or feeling some level of hurt or pain that you go, that can't happen again. And here are my boundaries. And boundaries are something that are so important, but so many of us feel... So we find it so difficult to put them in place because we don't want to upset people or we don't want people to think that we're either copping out or not wanting to give our energy to them. And it's not. It's, it's knowing yourself and then setting those boundaries. It's so, so important. Yeah, and it's, it's easier said than done. You know, yeah. I had a lot of people that didn't support me when I really needed it for whatever reason that I'm not even going to try and analyse or, or make sense of. We've all got our own lives. We lead busy lives. And then some of those people started to filter back in when I was sort of more in the public eye and, and seemed to be sort of better whatever that kind of means and I had really honest conversations with those those people and just said you know I could have really have done with your friendship and belief in me when I had nothing going on and when I really needed it and some of those people did say they were really sorry and they were scared and they didn't know how to face me they didn't know where to look what to say and now we are still friends Whereas if some of those people just kind of dismissed it and rubbished it and tried to make me feel that it was my fault or... And, and I just stood strong and said, you know, this is my boundary and I don't need loads of friends. I just need a few that I can trust on in all, all the different scenarios. So that obviously has become a very integral support network for you in whatever you're going through. And I know that you've had to have surgery again recently. Yeah. Was it your eye? Yeah, I shouldn't be wearing makeup and now you've outed me. <laughs> so's Katie. Don't, I don't think my surgeon's here. No, okay. your yeah. surgeon won't have to fight. He won't listen to this podcast, we hope. Um, so and this is something, so it went well? It did, yeah. It was, it was two weeks ago this Friday. So yeah, no, it was fine. I've had so many um, ops on my eye um, and actually it's, quite, it's so advanced, the science. So I had it done awake. I didn't have to go into general really? anesthetic. Yeah, so I've had um, the whole history of my eyes. I've had cornea transplants from deceased donors, but so I don't have to be on rejection drugs for life. I've had a stem cell transplant so that it um, encourages my other stem cells to multiply wow. to try and help restore my sight. So, wow. yeah, I mean, it's quite fascinating, isn't it? And it, that takes it's remarkable. You, but that's that new respect of, like, if the body can physically do this, mm. if the body can recover from that, then, then surely I can kind of, you know, get on that wave and ride it too and help my mind recover. And mm. then one doesn't want to let the other one down, you know? Yeah. Like, if we're having, like, stuff from rats in labs put in our eyes, like, I've got to kind of step up. Got to be on board with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when, when you know you've got a procedure coming up, you've got an operation coming up, what do you do to prepare yourself mentally so that you are feeling positive and and also physically because it obviously takes its toll all round? What sort of things 
really have to happen to ensure that you feel okay and safe? Um, well, the physical for me is exercise. And sometimes if I post a lot of exercise on social platforms, some people will wrong, they'll look at it and make a snapshot judgment. And they'll say, oh, you're always talking about weight loss. And actually, I've been really underweight when I was ill. You know, I couldn't swallow, I couldn't eat, so I was tube fed. You know, it's never about weight loss for me. It's about being cardiovascularly fit to recover from a GA. It's about um, fooling myself into I'm in control and I feel strong, even if it's a placebo thing. It helps me with that anxiety um, and it really helps me with depression as well. And I know after the op, I can't exercise. That is taken away from me. So if I can exercise and get to a good position mentally and physically before the operation, that really helps me. If I don't drink, that will help me on the other side with my recovery. Trying to get to my peak means I can take a huge hit. And then I can just relax in that recovery and not try and push it and end up getting infections or splitting stitches. And if you're having, and you've again written so brilliantly about this, but if you are not feeling positive mentally, what things, do you have daily disciplines or is it looking at life um, in, a, in a much bigger way? How, how do you sort of tackle that or how do you accept it or move through it? Um, I suppose it's about surrendering a lot of the time Um, and because I'm a busy person you know surrendering is quite difficult for me to do to just kind of do nothing is is actually probably impossible for me you know I do do really weird things that I like sorting out like drawers and things like that (laughs) so I do a lot of like drawers in like kitchens the best are you doing the Marie Kondo thing um, are you rolling your pants I've I've rolled pants I've rolled uh, sports bras as well Um, but like spice racks are quite big for me are they (laughs) in the Tiny ramekin yeah, parts with labels to dream. So I have to have like I think it's about having purpose. Yeah, because there was you know a long time ago I did, couldn't do anything. I couldn't work. I, could, I wasn't allowed out of intensive care for like three months. So I always need purpose, even if it's artificial purpose yeah. that I'm kind of making. You know, and and especially now I've got children and the kids are at home. I don't want to like worry them and frighten them. So I try to be active and do stuff. And you know I, I'm probably like a pain in the ass to my husband because <laughs> he's like if it was him he'd just play FIFA and. Sit Sure. There, you know, that yeah. I can't surrender to that. But knowing that actually that's all right. And if I follow like hashtags that help me, I see that actually other people's meditation is movement. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to be stillness if you can't handle that. And you don't have to put myself in that box of must be still, must be silent, because it's not me. Yeah. You know, and I can't make myself be like that. And that's all right. So I think it's, it's yeah, that's so true that um, that meditation can be anything. And also that self-care isn't... I think some, you know, self-care is a weird one. And I think there's so much out there about it now. Yeah. And, and some people are really on board with it and they have their own bespoke way of doing it. And then some people will still go, oh, it's all right for you. You've got time to have self-care <laughs> or it's a luxury. Yeah. But self-care can be sorting your pant drawer out. Yeah. It doesn't have to be having a massage or getting no. your nails done. Self-care isn't this... Again, this sort of like weird aesthetical, you know, sort of situation or pampering. It can be whatever makes you feel grounded, I guess. Yeah. And it's that time for you that's really important. And responsibility. Like, you know, I used to, when I was sort of in a more challenging place I would not ever get back to voicemails and not open post and then like medical appointments would spiral out of control follow-ups outpatients so sometimes that self-care would be like I'm going to sit down and do all this admin and I'm going to book in my follow-up appointments and I'm going to turn up to them and I'm going to get back to seeing my psychologist and that was self-care you know that medical kind of admin and there was a point when I um 
was trying to get into meditation and thinking I was doing it the right way. I got a meditation coach and I did this brilliant course and it was really good. And then she'd be texting me, have you meditated today? I've been lying to the teacher. <laughs> I've like, yeah, done it today. And I was like, what am I yeah, doing? I lying the to the teacher. Um, yeah. did it all. I was like, just tell her, you haven't bloody done yeah. it. Or I'd be like, oh, quick, run upstairs, quickly go and do it. And I was like, that's not the spirit of it. Yeah. You know, like slamming the doors, locking the kid in the playpen, running upstairs, <laughs> just like a text to the back and say, yeah. I've done it. I was like, Bit no, of a student. I've just got to go into the kitchen, tidy all the drawers and just be in silence, chill out, have a herbal tea, that is my meditation because yeah. actually then the person that had annoyed me on an email that I was going to tap back and like burn holes in the keyboard to, I'm actually going to take a break and maybe reply tomorrow when I've thought about it, you know? Yeah. And that really works well for me and the kitchen is spotless. So. The kitchen <laughs> is looking impeccable. And obviously you are so busy because... You've got, I mean, you've got books, you're doing your podcast, you're broadcasting, you've got your foundation. How do you stop yourself from going too far into that and losing that sense of self-care and time needed? Because I know that you had to go to hospital quite recently because yeah. you overworked yourself oh, and you God. weren't yeah. noticing the signs. That so was how, all my fault. Was how do you st- <laughs> but we've all, we've all got to that place where we've burnt out when we, we've seen the signs and we yeah. haven't recognised them. Yeah. First of all, I guess... Did you know that you shouldn't have pushed through? And how do you stop yourself from doing that now? Yeah, so I was um, working in Manchester, right? And I was up north and my kids were at home and my husband. So I like to go away, do my work in block, come back, have some block time off. So I was really busy and I was getting quite a lot of pains um, in my sort of lower abdomen and lower back. And I think as a woman, I've had two kids, you just kind of think, well, that's just what happens. I'm not going to ring the GP down south and tell them this, you know, they'll just tell me to take paracetamol. And I was on stage with Freddie Flintoff from Professor Green, right? And the pain was getting so bad. I was like thinking, if I just like headbutt Freddie Flintoff, that would be a massive <laughs> distraction. And I can, and I can run sprint. off. I can go into the loo and be like, ah! I was like, this is actually quite bad now. I think my pain levels are getting a bit out of sync. I'm possibly not listening to my body. And then I went home the next day and it was the podcast awards. I went to the podcast awards. You were there as well. I saw you there. Yeah. And I went in, did my little bit and I was like, I've got to go home. I've got to leave. Went home and I collapsed. And it's like I had not listened to my body because I was so obsessed with this balance of being a mum and having a career. And my four days have been booked out with childcare, with my husband. I was earning money. I was working. And my next four days were going to be being a mum. And that's what I was obsessing about. Yeah. I collapsed, got taken into hospital. I'd had a simple urine infection that I'd left that had gone to my kidneys that had now got into my blood. And I had sepsis. <sighs> but that's the irony. Then I was like, oh, my God, I was just trying to be a good mum. Yeah. And, you know, you get on social media. When are you with your kids? Or then when you're with your kids, when are you next on telly? Yeah. And I was like, I'm so obsessed with that. I've now got a life-threatening disease. And, you know, and then my kids are coming into hospital. My daughter's like, you're always in hospital, mum. What are you doing now? Mm. They think, well, I don't really want to start explaining to them what a sepsis is. So stay in a few days. Few day- it's going on like a week. I was like, well, we're going to have to tell them what's going on, you know. Um, and it really was that stark reminder, again, of what's the point in writing all these books, telling people that like, being in tune with yourself, with your body, if you're actually going to ignore it yourself. And what are you actually chasing, you know? So sometimes I think you do need to listen to yourself, me included, and... And, you know, these school holidays, I've booked more time off. I'm going straight from here up to Liverpool to the CBB's festival. Yes. <laughs> Yay. Uh, 
Maybe there'll be alcohol. Hello, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, literally. And I'm going to stand in that queue and wait for the oh, selfie. Oh, yes, Mr. you Tumble. are. Yeah. Um, Andy in the odd socks, he'll be there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've sort of learnt my own lesson in that way. And I suppose that's the great thing about life. It, it gives us these signals and we must listen to those subtle signals. Mm. So do you think since that happened, that's been more in the forefront of your mind, sort of just feeling... Because I, I think so many of us will get stuck in our heads and it is all thought and balancing and juggling life. And we forget about our bodies quite often and how yeah. they're feeling. And we do ignore pains or signs or symptoms. I've done it t- countless times. And, and actually, it's just so important that we maybe have a little self-inventory at the end of each day or, or at the weekends where we go, God, how do I actually feel? Yeah. Am and, I all right? And also recollect what are we chasing? What is our purpose? Because I would say I'm quite work-obsessed, but that doesn't mean I'm money-obsessed because, you know, the stuff of my charity, I'm a, I'm a volunteer. A lot of my work isn't necessarily monetary straight away. You know, it's actually about raising awareness. It's about putting a message out there. And I sometimes think, what am I chasing? What does it mean? Let's go back to that. And that goes back to writing journaling if you've written things down what you're really about what you really exist for it stops you making decisions that aren't really benefiting you because you can kind of especially being self-employed or being Mm. a mother you can kind of lose that compass because you're everybody else's purpose absolutely it's the greatest juggle in life it's bonkers doing what you do and running your incredible foundation you Oh, I'm imagining on the receiving end of people's stories constantly because people want to come to you and talk and uh, whether it be a feeling of comfort, solace, or they have, you know, um, genuine curiosity about how to cope with life better. How do you deal with that? How do you help other people, especially with your foundation, but reserve energy and enough of yourself to to feel like you're not depleting constantly? Well, this used to be my massive downfall in the very beginning because the charity, um, you know, I was the only member of staff. We didn't have a formal structure. I'm not kidding you. I used to handwrite to people like all the time. I love less by, writing. need to get yeah, back to that. By like 12 stamps and post them all. And it's like, especially when you've had any kind of trauma, mental or physical, you have a thing in you where you want to connect with people. You want to help them. You want to let them know your coping mechanisms and vice versa. They want to reach out to you. And in the end, I did get overwhelmed and I did go to a bad place. Um, and then a structure came in the charity where we were able to employ somebody. And I used to have this massive guilt about we can't pay somebody we can't pay a salary to somebody when it's a charity and then people sat down and said to me it is still a business and you won't be able to help anybody if you go backwards with depression anxiety PTSD and being overwhelmed and then I shed away that guilt and I realized that's about having the confidence to say it's okay if you're transparent with your donors and you show them the salaries that people are on it's actually okay and that was a kind of real relief that then there were mechanisms in place you know I used to have the info at Casey Piper Foundation going to my Blackberry wow yeah like that's pretty mad it's intense like it's crazy yeah you know now that doesn't happen but then obviously social media evolved and then you have a DM box and then I try and reply to people and I'd be trying to get to sleep with my chamomile tea and then I'd get this horrific DM in and so now I turned the DMs off and I have a holding thing of you know get in touch with my charity here's the signposting so I've I've learned it all along the way and and, and like you said about mistakes you know if you 
want to call them mistakes, I've always learned it by guessing it wrong. Yeah. But it's worked out all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's the only way you so, learn and can make positive change for you and anyone that you're trying to help as well. Sometimes the connection's good, though. Sometimes you yeah. want to reply and it's all right. You know, it's okay. Um, going back to confidence, because I know it's something that a lot of people here will probably be um, wanting to really grab hold of because so many of us feel lacking in confidence in in so many areas of our life um when do you feel you're most confident in life i suppose it's always where i feel my most established so it's never consistent now that i've kind of been working on my career for 10 or 11 years it would be actually going on stage and giving a talk or um meeting people you know like the writing like tv presenting because i've now done it for so long and then when i became a mum that was the new ground and then i wasn't confident being a mum and that was hard you know now i'm five years in i'm much more confident with the the eldest daughter not as good with the youngest so it's always experience that makes me feel confident Um, which is quite interesting because experience, like you said, isn't always necessarily positive all along the way. But experience always assures me that I'm, I'm right to be here. It's okay. People are coming back. Yeah. Know? And you've tried again. I think there's yeah. something in the return of like, I've showed up again. I'm doing it again. That builds, again, that resilience, I guess. Um, and how do you deal with life and being in a space like this or a social environment when you're not feeling at your best confidence wise I think that's difficult because actually you know we talk about being honest and transparent but sometimes there's places in your life where you can't be yeah and actually you do have to be professional or you do have to be boundaried um and actually again that's something that helps you build resilience you know we do have to go into situations where we're fearful and not show it mm. you know i've had situations with some people where i don't want them to know they intimidate me or that i am frightened of certain things because that will only make the situation worse and that's a good uh, characteristic to have you know we talk about being fake and a facade but there's a certain element of life where we need to put on a show mm. but actually that's all right so long as we understand that so are you kind because you know we hear thrown about quite a lot the um sort of fake it till you make it thing oh, with yeah. confidence do yeah. you are you on board with that you think a little bit of faking it does help you eventually get to the place where you start to go actually i'm not just you know talking the talk i'm doing it i'm actually i'm feeling the feelings as well well it, it does because if you look at the opposite of talking yourself down you know yeah. like i look horrific today i'm shit this is awful this is going really bad it will start to unravel yeah so i always think that not good enough tape i think about when i was young i would walk into a club and be like i shouldn't have worn this i'm the i'm the shortest mm. i'm this here and actually then it does unravel and then you don't talk to anyone and then it it becomes everything you're building it up to be so surely vice versa it works with you know saying i'm i'm worth being here people are you know people have come here they want to hear this and actually then you start to sort of believe it and it's that empress clothing mm, and also like talking yourself into it telling yourself stuff. i talk to myself all the time you know whether it's in my head or sometimes out loud but yeah if i'm feeling nervous like you know today i was terrified i'm coming to this i festival. was terrified for you i was, like, was terrified yeah. <laughs> we've been planning this for over a year and you know there's a lot riding on it and we want everybody to walk away having had a good experience so i'm worrying about every single person who's sat in front of me now and are they enjoying it did they like the shopping area did they have a good yoga session whatever i'm worried about every single bit so before I came here, I was thinking, should I have done this? Um, have I, have we, you know, have I worked hard enough? Do I deserve for this to go well? All those negative questions. And like you say, tapes, they are tapes that play in our head. My go-to thing is 
I am not good enough. I am not enough. I shouldn't have done this. You know, it's all very negative. And they're just loops that play because I've listened to them for years and years and years. And replacing them with little new ones, very simple. So I'll always do, I am enough. I am enough. I just keep saying it. I am enough. I am enough. Until I start to believe it a bit, or at least it's going around my head enough to block out all the other bollocks. I think it's so good to have... I guess even just one phrase that you can really tap into and and use to create a better outcome. Whenever I get those anxieties, I always, going back to the resilience thing, think, if I'm like, oh, should I be going to this? Should I do this? Is this going to be horrendous? Should I have ever bothered? I think, well, actually, this is probably going to be brilliant then because this is when that good stuff kind of happens. And if I go to an event or a talk totally flat and no adrenaline, and really cocky about it, that's when I've kind of lost my, yeah. I hate the word sparkle, but mm. I've lost that kind of mojo, you know, because I'm almost too self-assured, and I haven't got that sort of adrenaline going anymore, and I'm not going to give, and people want to connect, and they want you to give a, a part of yourself. So if I don't have that, then it's going to be rubbish, and that, that build-up tells me something good is going to come of this. Yeah, this because you care at the end of the day. Yeah. You care about it, and that's... You know, I feel very lucky that I get to do a job that I care about. I really, really yeah. care about it. You know, it keeps me up at night and I obsess about it. And yeah. I, you're invested. And I care, and, yeah, I, yeah. I, fully, fully, fully. Um, you know, you've, you've mentioned this several times. People will give you so many labels, inspirational, courageous, maverick-like. You know, every article, because obviously I've been doing some research for the chat, and every article you Google... That's your introduction. And I sense a level of discomfort from you with that. And I also wonder, rather than what everyone else throws at you, how you would describe yourself. What labels you think you actually authentically are? Um, I think I'm comfortable with being uncomfortable. um, And I'm very accepting. I can accept things and I can work with it. And I can make the best of it, whatever that is. It doesn't have to be the best, but I will, commit, I will make the best of it, you know? And I suppose ev- ev- all of those things sit under the umbrella of strength and being strong and looking at us as men and women, as human beings, and saying, we are really strong. Yeah. Really, really strong. Yeah. I think resilience, I think you're, you're owning that word. That one is yours. You're having take that. that. <laughs> you're having that. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So wonderful. Um, I don't know about you guys, but there's like a lot of bits of that conversation that I'm going to really focus on and try desperately to apply to my own life because... Me too. (laughs) Honestly, what you're doing is just remarkable and and your writing and and the TV work that you're doing and um, I don't think you always know how much you're helping people because it really is like just insurmountable the amount that you're helping other people and myself massively included so from the bottom of my heart katie piper thank you so much thank you so much the incredibly strong and resilient and bloody amazing katie piper thank you so much katie You can hear Katie on her own podcast, which I've been on actually, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People, available wherever you get yours. And next week on the show, we're back at Chiswick House in London to hear the remarkable story of British racing driver Billy Munger. Worst thing is when you think about things that you have no control over, because at that time I was in a situation where I'd spent sort of six weeks when I came out of hospital being able to do barely any exercise, a few little bits of physio here and there, 
and I just wanted to start training and getting my body prepared for what was coming up. Get that first thing on Monday when you subscribe. And while you're there, don't forget to leave us a review. It helps other like-minded people find the show, so do it now. A massive thanks again to Katie, to our wonderful audience at the Happy Place Festival, to producer Thomas Griffin and Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and to you lovely lot for listening. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.